day and welcome to Paymentus fourth quarter and full year 2021 earnings call. This call is being recorded. All participants are currently in a listen-only mode. There will be an opportunity for your questions following management's prepared remarks. If you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. At this time, I would like to hand the call over to Paul Tiemann, VP Finance and Strategy, for some introductory comments. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good afternoon and welcome to Paymentus' fourth quarter and full year 2021 earnings call. Joining me on the call today are Dushant Sharma, our founder and CEO, and Matt Parson, our CFO. Following our prepared remarks, we'll take questions. Our press release was issued after the close of market today and is posted on our website where this call is being simultaneously webcast. The webcast replay of this call and supplemental slides accompanying this presentation will be available on our company's website under the Investor Relations link at ir.financis.com. Statements made on this call include forward-looking statements within the meaning of the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Forward-looking statements use words such as will, believe, expect, anticipate, and similar phrases that denote future expectation or intent regarding our financial results, our market opportunity, business strategies, impact from acquisitions, and other matters. These forward-looking statements speak as of today, and we undertake no obligation to update them. These statements are subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that may cause actual results that differ materially from those set forth in such statements, including the risks and uncertainties set forth under the captions, special note regarding forward-looking statements, and risk factors, and our quarterly report on Form 10-Q for the quarter ended September 30, 2021, which we filed with the SEC on November 10, 2021, and our annual report on Form 10-K for the year ended December 31, 2021, which we expect to file with the SEC in early March 2022, and elsewhere in our filings with the SEC. We encourage you to review these detailed safe harbor and risk factor disclosures. In addition, during today's call, we will discuss certain non-GAAP financial measures, specifically contribution profit, adjusted gross profit, adjusted EBITDA, and adjusted EBITDA margin are non-GAAP financial measures. These non-GAAP financial measures, which we believe are useful in measuring Paymentus' performance and liquidity, should be considered in addition to, not a substitute for, or in isolation from GAAP results. We encourage you to review additional disclosures regarding these non-GAAP measures, including reconciliations with comparable GAAP measures and our earnings press release issued today and supplemental slides, each available on the Investor Relations page of our website. With that, I'd like to turn the call over to Dushant Sharma, our founder and CEO. Thank you, Paul. Look, 2021 was a great year. We accomplished many things that we believe position us well for a strong 2022 and beyond. But before I talk about 2022, let me discuss our Q4 performance first. We closed out our first year as a public company on a high note. Our contribution profit grew 36% in Q4 to $45.3 million. Our transaction volume grew 54% to over 83 million transactions in the quarter. And in 2021, we uh, uh, we also increased our number of clients to over 1,700, including builders and financial institutions. And from a user's standpoint, 
we saw 21 million consumers and businesses use our platform in the month of December 2021. Our payment volume for the full year jumped 68% to over $63 billion. To provide an additional context, it took us 15 years to get to $30 billion in payment volume, annual payment volume, and we have added more than that in just the last two years. It is pretty remarkable. And as uh, you can see from these numbers, our core strategy of building a network and gaining market share is paying off handsomely. As reflected in our 2022 guidance, we expect continued demand for our platform and the ecosystem, which we believe provides significant momentum for 2022 and beyond. Let me now discuss our expectations for 2022. Based on our current visibility, we believe 2022 will be another year of a strong growth and profitability. We are, we are expecting full-year contribution profit growth to be between 29 and 30 percent, and adjusted EBITDA margin to be between 14 and 16 percent. And we feel great about our prospects for 2022, primarily because because of the work we have done already done during 2021 which we believe has set a great foundation for our 2022 performance. Let me walk you through a few of these items. First, we established a significant part partnership with J.P. Morgan Chase to jointly sell our solution to the biller market. Both teams continue to be excited about the partnership and the momentum we are seeing. Second, we closed two acquisitions, which has strengthened our presence in the financial services market that allows us to begin monetizing payments through the bank channel. And I'm sure you're wondering about the integration. Uh, it's going very well. Third, we launched our Instant Payment Network, or IPN, with several of the largest companies in the world, and when combined with nearly 300 financial institutions on our platform, we believe it is a tough combination to beat. And as you know, IPN is unique to Paymentus. Fourth, we signed and implemented a number of key clients that we expect to serve for years to come. We also finished migrations of a large insurance company, a large real estate e-commerce website, and a top 15 U.S. mortgage servicing company. All went live in 2021, each displacing legacy systems. These are among the over 50 clients, billers and financial institutions that we onboarded in the quarter. Fifth, we have signed additional partnerships including a new telecom partnership in the fourth quarter that we expect to help grow our biller base and corresponding revenues. In October 2021, we launched an IPN-powered app called Bill Center that modernizes bill payments for banks and credit unions. It has been very well received in the market with several clients signed in the fourth quarter. Bill Center provides consumers with a 360-degree view across all bills. It offers more payment choices with debit, credit, and digital wallet options, and it delivers immediate notification of payment from the biller to the banks and financial institutions. With IPN and Bill Center, consumers have more choice and flexibility about how they pay and when they pay. Finally, our addressable market opportunity is big, and despite our scale, we believe we are just getting started. 
As a testament to our momentum and leadership position, in a recent comprehensive review of many Bullard Direct vendors by IT Novarica Group, a leading financial services advisory and research firm, Paymentus was named as the industry's best-in-class vendor. IT Novarica reached this conclusion after numerous capability deep dives, feature functionality comparisons, client reference calls, product demos, and due to our innovative Biller Direct platform and our excellence in Biller service and support. As a reminder, our platform and the IPN ecosystem exist to create a flywheel effect where our objective remains to A, sign as many billers as possible, B, constantly grow the digital payment volume, C, expand IT and reach to as many partners and financial institutions as possible, and D, generate a warm lead list of all billers that are outside of our biller direct platform, but process through our IPN network and therefore add them to our sales pipeline. We have done a tremendous amount of work in 2021 including all of the exciting accomplishments I listed. And as a result, we believe we are more drivers of future revenue than we have ever, done, uh, ever had before. We believe these revenue drivers, combined with our highly visible model, provide attractive upside potential for 2020 and beyond. Our 2022 guidance doesn't change, but hopefully this gives you an understanding as to why we feel good about 2022 and beyond. Many of you are new to payment as a story, so let me take a moment to describe how we think about our business. Our strategy is centered around capital-efficient long-term growth. We view ourselves as a custodian of your capital, and we take this role very seriously. As a public, as a public company, it is never lost on us, in fact, I personally think about it every day, that our long-term performance also impacts children's education plans, family retirement accounts, and vacation funds. Therefore, we will continue to be a responsible executor of our business strategy as we aggressively pursue profitable growth irrespective of the market condition. Let me now touch uh, quickly on the nature of bill payment market and the industries we serve. If Christopher Bullock's famous line was spoken today, it would likely say something like, it's impossible to be sure of anything except death, taxes, and bills. We all have bills, and they have to be paid, whether there is a financial crisis or a pandemic. The majority of our clients are recurring services businesses, such as utilities, government, financial services, and insurance companies. Due to the non-discretionary nature of these businesses, they aren't affected uh, like other businesses by supply chain issues and geopolitical events. We believe this gives us tremendous stability as we execute on our long-term strategy for accelerating growth and capturing meaningful portions of the total addressable market through innovative offerings. This is one of the many reasons why we feel confident about our ability to execute and deliver long-term sustainable growth. And before I pass the call uh, over to Matt, let me also touch on inflation for a moment. Our pricing and contracts are structured such that either our pricing increases automatically or we can adjust our pricing if our clients increase their fees to their customers. Therefore, we have protection to maintain margins. This notion is not new at all and has been in our agreements for over a decade now. 
And I also want to remind you that one reason we grew through the financial crisis way back when and through the pandemic was because people still had to pay their bills. With that, let me pass the call to Matt. Matt. Thank you, Sean. As a quick reminder, today's discussion includes non-GAAP financial measures. Please refer to the tables in our press release and supplemental slides for reconciliation of non-GAAP items to the most directly comparable GAAP financial measure. I echo Deshaun's commentary on the strength of our performance in 2021. If you recall Deshaun's four ecosystem objectives from last quarter, we've made progress in each of them. Signing and implementing a significant number of billers, rapidly growing our payment volume, expanding the reach of IPM, and expanding our sales pipeline through warm leads. In the fourth quarter, we processed 83.3 million transactions, which represents a year-over-year increase of 53.7% and an annualized run rate of more than 330 million transactions. This accelerated transaction volume was driven by a mixed shift as we ramped business-to-business, IPN, inclusive of, and in particular, the PayVaris acquisition, and other non-biller direct products. These transactions are typically priced based on contribution profit because there is no interchange associated with them. We believe we have the opportunity to drive additional revenues with this volume over time as we extend our reach and scale. The transaction growth drove a 31.2% increase in revenue over the same period in 2020, which resulted in revenue of $108.1 million in the quarter and $395.5 million for the year. Contribution profit for Q4 was $45.3 million, a 36.3% increase over the same period last year. For the full year, contribution profit was $158.5 million, which represents growth of 31.5%. Adjusted gross profit for the fourth quarter was $36.1 million, which is a 35.1% increase from Q4 of 2020, and it was $127.4 million for the year. Adjusted EBITDA was $6.3 million for the fourth quarter, which represents a 13.8% adjusted EBITDA margin. For the full year, adjusted EBITDA finished at $29.5 million, or 18.6% adjusted EBITDA margin. We are very proud of our performance across all these metrics. Operating expenses rose $12.6 million to $33.4 million for Q4 of 2021 from the same period last year. Overall, this increase in operating expenses from last year was driven by increases in headcount from ongoing investments in our business and its growth as well as our acquisitions and also the amortization of intangible assets associated with the acquisitions. Specifically, R&D expense increased $3.1 million, or 47.6% from the fourth quarter in 2020, as we continue innovating with and for our customers and partners. Sales and marketing increased $6.3 million, or 73.1%, as we continue to add headcount to drive new sales and expand partnerships given the significant market opportunity we see and market position we have established. Travel and marketing events also continue to ramp up relative to Q4 of 2020. We experienced increases in G&A expense due to our acquisitions and multifold increases in the cost of corporate insurance and ongoing investment in public company infrastructure. Gap net income was $4.7 million and EPS for Q4 was $0.04. Cents. 
non-GAAP net income was $2.1 million, and non-GAAP EPS was $0.02 cents for the quarter. Our full-year effective tax rate ended up at 10.4%. You may recall that I indicated in our Q3 call to expect a full-year effective tax rate of around 55%, but during Q4, we received a discrete tax benefit associated with the deductibility of stock option exercises, and like most companies, we don't forecast we don't forecast discrete tax items, and without the discrete item, our effective tax rate would have been 52% for 2021. As of December 31st, 2021, we had $168.4 million of cash and cash equivalents on our balance sheet, and this cash decreased primarily due to our acquisitions and the timing of customer payments. At year end, our common stock share count was 120.64 million shares. Now from our Q4 and four results, let's turn to our 2022 four-year outlook. We are introducing our 2022 four-year guidance based on our historical performance and current expectations for this year. Our revenue outlook for 2022 is in the range of $490 million to $495 million, which represents growth between 24 and 26% year over year. We expect contribution profit to be between 204 and $206 million for the year, which is approximately 29 to 30% growth. We anticipate 2022 adjusted EBITDA in the range of 28 to $33 million, with an adjusted EBITDA margin of 14 to 16%. With regard to the adjusted EBITDA, I want to remind you that while we were at 18.6% for 2021, it was a tale of two halves, meaning before we went public, our adjusted EBITDA margin for the first half of 2021 was 24.4%. But for the second half of 2021, it was 13.8% due to the cost of being a public company as well as the impact of the acquisition. So our guidance for 2022 adjusted EBITDA margin, we are actually including incremental improvement from our current run rate. We believe the combination of our expected growth and EBITDA margin outlook will continue to keep us a rule of 40 company with a clean balance sheet that has no debt. Finally, we would typically expect our effective tax rate to be between 25 and 30 percent. However, due to the amortization of intangibles associated with acquisitions, we expect pre-tax book income to be essentially break-even in 2022. This will cause our effective tax rate to vary from expectations, and accordingly, we are not providing a forecast for the effective tax rate for 2022. This guidance incorporates certain assumptions and does not incorporate the impact of any future acquisitions that we may undertake. Directionally, we expect our contribution profit per transaction to be substantially similar to the level we saw in Q4 throughout 2022. Some of the other assumptions include a consistent rate of growth in same-store sales to what we've seen historically, new customer implementations going live in line with expectations, even though that obviously has a dependency on our clients, and that those newly implemented clients have the transaction volumes and average payment amounts that we expect. It also assumes minimal client attrition, as has been the case historically. As you know, we don't provide quarterly guidance, and one of the reasons we don't is because there can be quarter-to-quarter -quarter variations in the growth rate due to changes in average payment amounts, mix of payment types, and other items. But I did want to give you a bit of color on how we anticipate the year may progress, as we do not expect to experience straight-line growth from quarter-to-quarter -quarter during 2022. We expect higher year-over-year -year contribution profit growth in the first half of the year than the second half as we lap our acquisitions in Q3. 
As a result, we expect the second quarter to have the highest growth rate in the year because of the relative comp to last year. The vast majority of sales that will impact 2022 revenue have been closed, and the variance between quarters is driven by variable implementation timing that can generally move, move a month or two uh, earlier or later, depending on client specifications and needs. Specifically with Q1, please keep in mind that we typically that we typically see much lower or actually really even zero sequential contribution profit growth in the first quarter due to higher average bill amounts associated with utility clients. With all that said, though, even though we may see fluctuations in growth quarter to quarter as evidenced by the upper end of our guidance range, we believe we're a 30% growth business on an annual basis. And with that, I'll turn the call back over to Deshaun for some closing comments. Thank you, Matt. As Matt and I have shared, we feel good about 2022 primarily because of the hard work and the foundation building we did in 2021. Likewise, our focus in 2022 is to continue to deliver the expected performance and to also set a great foundation to deliver similar results for 2023 and beyond. That is the nature of our business, but also for over a decade now, our execution focus is always on a two-year horizon, where we execute in the current year with an eye to the subsequent year. Our 2021 results and 2022 plans won't be possible without the hard work and the dedication of our 1,100 team members who build, sell, and take care of our clients every day. I would like to thank each and every member of our team for their hard work. And with that, we'll now open the line to questions. Thank you. If you'd like to ask a question, please press star followed by one on your telephone keypad. If for any reason you'd like to remove that question, please press star followed by two. Again, to ask a question, press star one. As a reminder, if you are using a speakerphone, please remember to pick up your handset before asking your question. We will pause here briefly as questions are registered. The first question comes from Darren Peller with Wolf Research. Please proceed. Thanks, guys. Um, congrats on finishing your uh, first year public, uh, as a public company. Um, you know, I want to start off with when we when we look at the customer ads you had over the past six to nine months, you started off at 1,300, if I remember correctly. You went up to about 1,400 plus, and now we're showing 1,700. Uh, it's just a pretty dramatic move in a, in a pretty short period of time. So if we could just touch on what's driving that, uh, what kind of categories you're adding in, and maybe a little more color on sustainability or what you'd expect to, to see in the next, call it 12 to 24 months, that'd be great. Uh, well, the the, uh, the 1,700 clients include uh, the uh, the PayVeris clients as well that come through, uh, through the acquisition. That is primarily the financial institutions. Uh, so, and relative to uh, remaining clients, I think first of all, uh, we remain very bullish. Uh, and as you uh, as you heard us talk about, our goal and strategy is focused on continuing to build network and gain market share through acquisition of builders and build the IP and continue to build uh, the IP ecosystem and uh, bring as much volume uh, uh, as possible. So we, we see the similar trend in, uh, uh, minus the acquisition, uh, we see a similar trend in uh, 2022 and, and beyond uh, in terms of acquisitions of customers. Now in terms of the where they will come from, uh, 
utilities, insurance, our key verticals, the core verticals, utilities, insurance, government, uh, consumer finance, uh, telecom, uh, as well as healthcare. It, it, the only thing I would add is also financial institutions. I, I think with the, the addition of Payverus, um, there'll obviously be a focus on financial institutions and adding, continuing to add more and more financial institutions to the, um, to the stable of clients. Absolutely. Guys, just one quick follow-up is one, or maybe two parts to it, but when thinking about the guide and the outlook for 22 and beyond now, you know, number one, I mean, we're getting a couple of questions on the strength of the customer ads and transactions, but, but more in-line results on contribution profit, uh, as well as really more in-line trend looking forward. And so maybe just touch on the yield dynamics for a minute <clears throat> and what you're seeing or expecting to see on the yield and what you're able to charge fee per transaction if it's changing at all. Um, and then also, is there an inclusion of anything for the J.P. Morgan partnership yet, or is it just too early on for that? Yeah, so on the first part, um, on the contribution profit line, uh, I, I think I might have said it in the prior remarks, but we expect in 22 uh, the contribution profit per transaction to be consistent with what we saw roughly the level in Q4. Um, you know, as we've said before, uh, we continue to add larger and larger clients. We've been very uh, fortunate, and we've worked hard and earned them um, in winning larger clients than we've ever won. And, and of course, uh, with greater volume uh, for a client, generally comes better pricing. And so uh, certainly, as we continue to add larger clients, um, there will be some um, uh, continued, you know, kind of pressure on the, the price per transaction line, but we think on the whole we can keep it fairly consistent for 2022 with what we saw in Q4. Uh, and some of that also comes from, as, as I think Deshant mentioned uh, on the call, from other, as we continue to expand our B2B presence and uh, the financial institution business in particular, those are priced on a contribution profit basis. There is no interchange, but that will be more, uh, it will be akin to where we are uh, currently on contribution profit per transaction. Um, and then with respect to the second part on J.P. Morgan, uh, lots of positive momentum there. But as you said, you know, uh, when we're – there's two pieces of the business, if you remember there. One is a, a migration of their existing accounts. The second is uh, some of their existing clients that they had on the, the previous platform. The second is to go to market together with them. Um, on the go to market together with them and the winning new clients, as you would imagine, a lot of those clients are on the larger end of the client spectrum, and so uh, we've had very good results early on, uh, but those are going to take a little bit longer to get up and running simply because of their size, and so um, there's not a lot of impact in 22 from revenue associated with those clients. That doesn't mean we haven't already won some and we're well underway on winning others, but the revenue impact doesn't really show up in a meaningful way in 22. Uh, on the migration, you know, there's time that it, it required to get prepped and to talk to the clients, get them comfortable with it. So there again, also, um, there's not a whole lot of impact in 22. There is some in the back half of the year, but not, uh, not, not very large. Okay. All right, that's helpful. Nice, guys. Sure. Thanks, Eric. Thank you, Darren. The next question comes from Andrew Botch with SMBC. Please proceed. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my question. I want to touch upon the IPN real quick. And I know one of the key 
advantages of the IPM is it gives you a lot more visibility into really the bill payment ecosystem <clears throat> across the country. I mean, can you help us and, and investors better understand how the IPM dramatically expands your immediately addressable market? And, and the, the point on the automated biller discovery, I think a little bit more color around that would be helpful. Yeah, so, well, first of all, uh, thank you for the question. Look, I, uh, as you rightly pointed out, uh, IPN for us uh, uh, is a way uh, to continue to uh, garner insights into how consumers are paying their bills, who they are paying, and whether those billers are on our network directly or not. And then if, uh, if they are on, great. So we are now able to uh, uh, serve the existing customers better. But uh, those who are not, they go directly to our sales pipeline, and we are starting to target those uh, those customers. So this uh, uh, this phenomenon actually uh, opens up doors for us beyond uh, uh, the, the core verticals we talked about. There are several verticals where we are now seeing payments to where uh, they're starting to look very attractive to us because we are already processing payments, and it becomes a very warm lead for us. So the way to think about uh, this is it's uh, by having financial institutions uh, uh, leverage our IPN and bill center. Uh, on one hand, they're modernizing their capabilities. On the other hand, uh, using those capabilities and the, uh, the payment volumes, we are able to uh, garner insights as to what other verticals and what other uh, key features and the uh, uh, capabilities we could add to our platform that allows us to uh, further expand our TAM. So that is actually happening uh, as, uh, 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 as we speak. Another thing which is interesting in that whole dynamic is, as you know, one of our key areas of focus is how do we reduce the gap between our gross revenue to the, uh, the contribution profit, the net revenue? And, uh, and this opens doors for us there as well. Uh, so we, we, uh, we, we see that as a, uh, a, biggest, a biggest strategy uh, uh, for us. And, uh, uh, and uh, if you could repeat the second part of your question. No, I, I think you answered it. It was with regard to the, uh, the automated biller discovery. Um, but I guess my follow-up question would be just, just looking at the just see that guide, 50% margin at, at the mid at the midpoint seems relatively in line with, with what we were expecting. I mean, any changes to your your investment strategy there um, with regards to, you know, tightening supply or labor markets in, in, in that that vein? Not really. You know, I think we, uh, as we've said before, um, you know, we're we're letting to some extent the strength of our business dictate how we think about spending in the sense of. Um, you know, if we feel like there's opportunity to increase the top line, then we believe it's worth the investment to, you know, obviously to, to, uh, to spend the money to do that. Um, you know, we've been continuing to add people. Uh, certainly, as we talked about on a previous call, as everybody's seeing, the, the hiring cycle is maybe a tad bit longer than it was, uh, say, nine or 12 months ago just because of the, the little bit of tightening labor market, but we've uh, still been able to attract uh, phenomenal people. I mean, I, I, uh, some days I'm telling my uh, our recruiting team to slow down a little bit um, <laughs> because they're finding such great candidates. But, um, but yeah, we you know we're going to continue to, as Deshaun said on the, the prepared remarks, our hallmark has been uh, responsible growth, 
Um, and we think that, you know, profitability is important and we're going to continue to really weigh out every investment decision on, you know, do we think it can drive additional growth? Uh, and if not, we're not going to do it. We're going to make sure that we're, we're spending the money responsibly into driving, uh, driving growth to the top line. Great. The only thing I said about a good first year. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. The only thing I was going to say is, is just keep in mind that because of our implementation timeline, the results in revenue are lagging the investment in the sense that, you know, if we, it takes us six, nine months to get a customer live, um, we're not going to see the revenue impact of the investments necessarily straight away. It takes a little bit of time to see those. Good point. All right, thank you. Yep, appreciate it. Thank you, Andrew. The next question comes from John Davis with Raymond James. Please proceed. Hey, good afternoon, guys. First, just want to start on, on net rev retention. You know, maybe just comment a little bit, if, if not a, a, an actual number directionally, how it trended in 21 versus 20 and what kind of is embedded in the uh, 22 guides. Yeah, so um, consistent with what we've seen historically, um, we did not uh, – have not yet disclosed a number or talked about a number for, for 21, but I would say it's very consistent with what we've seen uh, historically. So let's call it, you know, mid to upper one teens, uh, uh, kind of 115 to 120 range. Um, and so, you know, as we've, uh, I think, laid out previously, when we think about – if we think about – uh, ourselves around about a 30% grower, uh, about, you know, roughly in the ballpark of half of that comes from uh, expansion with existing accounts, and roughly about half of that comes from uh, new clients, and 2022 is no difference. Okay, great. And then the inorganic contribution um, for revenue, or sorry, contribution profit in 4Q, and then how should we think about what's, what's based on the guy from an organic perspective in, in 2022? Yeah, we haven't broken it out because it's not uh, material um, to the overall numbers. Um, but, you know, it's in there, uh, and it's baked into the guidance um, uh, for next year, what we expect to do. Um, and there's certainly, you know, when you think about the acquisition, they obviously brought some clients with them. Um, but the real value or, or a real value is, is the combination of the companies and what uh, we're able to do as far as um, providing bill payment capabilities to the financial institutions, et cetera. Um, so it's, it's included in our guidance, but we haven't broken it out because it's not, not material. Okay. And I'll squeeze one last one in if I can. Just, Deshaun, you talked a, a lot about IPN, the preparator marks. They just help us, you know, Maybe in 21, ballpark contribution to revenue, and you know, are you expecting IPN to contribute meaningfully more in 22? Just kind of curious, uh, an update from the from a revenue contribution profit perspective for IPN. Actually, one of the things we are we are doing uh, internally now is uh, uh, we we have seen as we have seen the trends that. Uh, the IPN and the core business, they're so intertwined because of the network effect which we were uh, pursuing. We are seeing that already in action. And therefore, we are, we are internally actually not even breaking out uh, exactly how uh, the IPN versus the, uh, uh, the core, core business. Uh, but 
as you are seeing from our numbers and the volume and the transaction growth, it is contributing to our uh, our growth as well as uh, 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 to uh, frankly the, the the network effect we were, we were talking. Do you want to add anything to this? Yeah, I'll just add on the the revenue to contribution profit. Um, we've, uh, as we talked about, uh, I think previously the. The revenue line will certainly step down on a per transaction basis uh, over time as we two things happen. One, we uh, sign larger and larger accounts, but also as more of the mix of our business transitions to uh, becoming uh, contribution profit only or, or business without where we don't carry the cost of the interchange, such as B2B, as you mentioned, the IPN and tra uh, uh, transactions, which includes the financial institutions as part of uh, uh, that PayVarius is working with, uh, et cetera. So we will continue to see a, uh, you know, progressive increase in contribution profit as a percentage of revenue. Um, I would not, and, you know, we can talk more about it, obviously, but I would not model a massive step up for that this year. I think it will be a very, you know, kind of slow step up throughout the year uh, as we go through the year. Okay. That's helpful. Thanks, guys. Thank you, John. The next question comes from Tinson Wong with J.P. Morgan. Please proceed. Thank you. Uh, great results here. Just I wanted to ask on the pipeline for billers and partners now versus this time last year. Any any big change here? Are your sales targets that you set for the sales team quota-wise? Is it higher for 22 versus 21? How, how does it compare? Just curious. Thank you. Sure. <laughs> Great question, Tinian. Actually, uh, uh, the reason I'm, I'm smiling is because some of the discussions are already happening between uh, uh, me, Matt, and Jerry, and, and, and the rest of the team. So we are we are having those discussions. But yes, the pipeline is stronger than it was before, uh, and the uh, and it's the combination of uh, all of the things we have been working uh, uh, towards. Uh, you know, leading up to uh, this day, if you will, from uh, years past. Uh, it's a, com a combination of the par partnership framework we have put together, both uh, from the uh, builder side of partnerships, uh, the companies who are helping us uh, uh, build a uh, builder network, as well as on the IT ecosystem, and then uh, uh, as well as financial institutions partnerships, uh, 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 including uh, J.P. Morgan Chase. Uh, so uh, as a result of all that, combined with uh, the Frankly, the better messaging, the network effect, the uh, the clear under understanding in the market that uh, there is a need for a uh, platform and ecosystem like Paymentus. Uh, as a result, uh, our uh, our targets for this year are larger, uh, bigger than uh, they were last year, and uh, the team the team is uh, the team is very focused on that. Uh, and as I talked about uh, in my prepared remarks as well, that we have many sources. Uh, uh, of uh, of revenue, uh, and that's part of that uh, 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 that platform we have built here. Yeah, no, it feels that way. It seems like the, the net is definitely wider, um, which is why I thought I'd ask. So, so just my quick follow up then, just thinking about the revenue drivers this year um, versus last year, do you expect it to be meaningfully different? I mean, given what you just said there, with a lot more partners in place, you've, I know you've signed a lot of larger you know, billers as, as well. Um, I'm just curious if you think the wheel is going to spin a little bit differently uh, to get to where you're targeting. 
Yeah, I mean, look, our pursuit is uh, to gain as much of the market share as we uh, we can uh, and continue to expand our network. And uh, th- that will continue on, and we are uh, – uh, we remain very excited, actually. We are seeing tremendous uh, uh, trends uh, uh, in our favor uh, from all, uh, all aspects. Uh, if you think about it, uh, billing companies are looking for a – uh, more unified platform. The banks are looking for a modern, uh, modernized uh, user experience, and we sit right in the middle of it, uh, if it uh, of it all. And consumers want choice. They want an, uh, a way to be able to pay whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want, and uh, and we are able to do that. Uh, so uh, as a result of that, I think uh, the net, as you said, is getting wider, and as a result, I think. Uh, we are able to target clients in different industries than we were not thinking about. We are able to also watching our trends, uh, you know, the type of billers we are not uh, uh, processing payments for, but we are uh, directly on our direct platform, but we are seeing them through the IPN network. Uh, we are able to also restructure uh, uh, some capabilities and see, you know, hey, what, what more could we add? So what you will start to see is, a combination of large clients coming in, uh, whether it's coming through larger partners as well as uh, directly, but also uh, you will see uh, a little bit more diversity of uh, uh, verticals in the go after uh, as well, uh, initially opportunistically just based on what we're seeing and then uh, eventually uh, pretty uh, uh, in a formal manner. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, Vishal. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Tindin. Thank you, Tinson. The next question comes from Jason Kupferberg with Bank of America. Please proceed. Hey, thanks, guys. Um, I'm just curious how to think about uh, cash flow conversion in 2022 based on the adjusted EBITDA that you're forecasting. What do you want to talk about in terms of operating cash flow, free cash flow? Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Um, yeah, I, it, consistent with what we've seen um, uh, historically in, in 2021 and uh, prior, um, no real changes to the to the drivers in, in cash flow conversion. Um, I think, you know, cap software is a big uh, impact. If you think about the difference between operating cash flow and free cash flow, we do have a lot of capitalized software, but um, but I don't. There's no changes to the to any of the. Um, uh, levers of drivers that would change cash flow conversion uh, from adjusted EBITDA consistent with what we did in 21. Okay, good. And then just um, with respect to the balance sheet, obviously in great shape and no debt, and um, you've had a track record of some successful M&A. What does the pipeline look like there? How do you feel like that will be a meaningful part of the story for Pimentus in 2022? Yeah, I'll start and Deshaun, you can add on. Um, we're constantly looking at, at you know, M&A opportunities, as you can imagine. Uh, once we went public, uh, our email inboxes got flooded with, uh, with things. Um, and so, as we said before, you know, we've been very opportunistic and disciplined in the past with M&A, um, and we'll continue to be so uh, going forward. I think the good news is, as you heard Deshaun lay out kind of where we are and the things we accomplished in 2021, when we look at the goals we want to achieve in 2022 and really beyond, um, th- there's no 
there are no big holes in our strategy or our objectives that say we've got to go out and buy something to fill this gap or to plug this hole. Um, so it gives us the ability to be very opportunistic and either expand our TAM or deepen our capabilities in a certain area, but it's all kind of additive to what we're already doing as opposed to, say, plugging a big gap or a hole that we have, which is a good position to be in and allows us to be uh, quite opportunistic. But, Deshaun, you want to add anything? Yeah. No, I think I, I completely agree. I think we'll continue to be selective and, uh, and very disciplined. Uh, but uh, doing acquisitions, I won't put it out of the uh, uh, realm of possibilities. We'll continue to look at opportunities, and if there's something comes along which we like uh, and, and you think it could be additive, uh, we'll do it. So. Great. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Jason. Thank you, Jason. The next question comes from Ashwin Shervakar from City. Please proceed. Oh, hi, Lishan. Uh, hi, Matt. Um, good to hear your voices. Thank you for the call. Um, hey, um, I guess, uh, you know, let me start with, you have the, uh, um, you know, 14 to 16 margin range, and if you could kind of talk about what drives the, you know, 14 versus the 16, how much of that is, you know, explicit investments versus mix, things like that. Um, if you could uh, uh, talk about that, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so some of it obviously is dependent upon uh, where we land on the top line and uh, to the extent it flows through uh, ultimately the EBITDA, uh, for sure, and, and there's a range on the top line, so um, uh, there's a flow through on that. Um, but it also is, you know, one of the things we want to make sure that we give ourselves enough um, of a range, uh, to be honest, and, and transparency with uh, you and the investors on um, having additional capability to invest to the extent that we see opportunities to do that. Um, you know, again, we're a growth business, and, and we think that you know being able to grow in the 30% range uh, is uh, is quite attractive, and, and to the extent that we have opportunities that can add. Uh, potentially add to that growth level, we want to have the ability to make those investments. Um, so I'd say that's really the difference between kind of the 14 and 16 is, um, you know, throughout the years we see opportunities to invest being in a position to uh, to do that. And, you know, as you would expect, uh, a good majority of our expenses in the people uh, bucket. And so, um, you know, I think we're always looking for, for good people, and, and it's also somewhat dependent upon the timing of hiring and attrition and some of those things you can't control. So, you know, kind of with all those factors in, we felt like that was uh, an appropriate range and, and just gave, again, ourselves a little bit of flexibility as we kind of work through the year to have additional investment dollars to the extent that we think that um, uh, there's things that we can invest in that will drive additional top line. Got it, got it. Um, and, and, you know, as you added new partners, is there any change observable, I guess, in either payment type or bill amount size you might be gaining affluent versus, uh, versus subprime? You know, various different factors that you, that you might, might look at, um, to, to, to figure out, um, sort of the partner strategy and hone it. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about uh, about 
uh, about that forward-looking perspective as well. Yeah, I think from uh, what we are seeing is that uh, uh, larger billers are obviously uh, a lot more uh, open to uh, doing partnership with, uh, with us. Uh, uh, as a result of the ecosystem we have built and the platform, but also the partnership framework. But we haven't seen uh, a major shift uh, in terms of the uh, pay, uh, payment mix or uh, other changes. Uh, in fact, that's what makes this thing uh, pretty attractive. Uh, and I said, thing, this entire uh, business proposition we are, we are talking about is that we have built what we needed to build uh, to get to the point we are at, which is now it's more about uh, 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 having more storytellers, more ways to tell the story, and more listeners, and therefore more customers coming on board. Uh, on board, because we have the platform, we have the ecosystem, we have the network, uh, all of the components needed uh, uh, to 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 make it happen. I would um, totally agree. The only thing I would add is we have definitely seen a widening in the um, payment amounts. Um, kind of levels for different clients, meaning if I, if I go back two years ago, um, when you know before we started adding more and more large billers three years ago, um, I could have told you our average payment amount across all of our billers was $180, let's say, um, and it was fairly consistent. There wasn't a wide uh, high and low on $180, but as we've expanded into more verticals and doing more things like, you know, we've got a client that we went live with in uh, Q4 that the average payment amount is, you know, well over $1,000. And we've got another one that the average payment amount is, you know, five or $600 uh, in the auto space. And so um, I would say, you know, on an average payment amount, it picked up slightly across all billers, but there's a bigger delta between high and low. But there's nothing to necessarily draw from that other than, uh, a good thing that we're getting more and more different types of doors and more and more different types of verticals. But, you know, if we price them appropriately, the economic uh, and financial statement output of that is consistent regardless of, of ultimately the payment type. Um, but there's definitely more divergence in what that looks like just because we've moved into more industries and, and different verticals. Got it. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Ashwin. The next question comes from Will Nance with Goldman Sachs. Please proceed. Hey, guys. Good afternoon. Thanks for squeezing me in here. I, I had a question just on the revenue trajectory over the year, and it, I, it sounds like there are a handful of things that you know may start to kick in in the back half of the year. I think you mentioned some of the J.P. Morgan partnership will start to contribute towards the end of the year, but really, you know, it sounded like more more 2023-weighted. I think last quarter you talked about a large client that was supposed to come on board, a larger-than-normal client coming on board uh, towards the second half of this year. So I just kind of want to understand, like, I, hearing loud and clear, you guys consider the business a 30% grower. Is it possible that with the addition of these handful of things you guys have talked about, we could be exiting the year uh, with a little bit of tailwind? Uh, I'm, I'm going to not let Deshaun answer that question. No, I'm kidding. Um, uh, look, our guidance is our guidance. I think, um, yeah, we certainly said uh, that there's some things coming out of, uh, out of 
the J.P. Morgan partnership that will hit in late in the year, the client that you referenced we talked about going live late in the year. Um, I, all of those things, you know, set us up well for, as we said, 2023 and beyond. Um, you know, I, I would just reiterate that our guidance is what it is, but, um, you know, we've got a lot of reason to be optimistic for how things uh, shape up towards the end of the year. And, you know, we'll see. We've, we've got a lot of work to do. As we talked about, you know, our, our uh, implementation timeline is such that when we look at 2022, I think I said in my prepared remarks, most if not all of that revenue is kind of locked in as far as the uh, clients um, signed up that um, will go live this year. Now, there's variability in the timing of when they go live and the volumes of when they go live, um, but the work that we're doing between now and the end of 2022 is what becomes obviously 2023 revenue. And so, um, we've got a lot of work to do. I think it's the, the uh, board is set up well for us with some of the things that are happening late in the year, but there's still a lot of work to do this year to, to get to 2023 where we want it to be. Got it. That's helpful. And I just, if I can ask a follow-up, I, I just want to try the uh, organic growth question a different way. I, I, I realize that you guys are not breaking that out because you, you don't really consider it too material. I just want to make sure I understand the comments on the quarterly cadence of growth throughout the year because it sounded like you said that it, it was material enough that we would notice uh, just from a comps perspective in the first half of the year the growth being elevated and then falling off in the back half of the year. So I was wondering if you could just help us understand the magnitude of that inorganic, you know, impact from comps in the prior year as we go from the first half into the second half. And, I, you know, I would kind of echo the earlier questions around, you know, ballpark what the acquisitions from the third quarter are contributing to the current run rate. Yeah, that's a fair point. And I think really what we were um, intending was, you know, obviously Q3 and Q4 are tougher comps than Q1 and Q2 is really what we were trying to say. And part of the reason for that is, uh, even though not material, there's still some amount of, of acquisition in there. Uh, you know, I would say a couple points. Really what we're trying to essentially say is um, as we go through the year, it's going to appear, well, it is going to be that uh, Q1 and Q2 growth rates are going to be higher than Q3 and Q4. And so essentially what I was trying to say is don't read into that that growth is slowing down because there's a lot of factors that play into the quarter-on-quarter uh, results that we see, and overall, part of the reason we don't give quarterly guidance, overall on an annualized basis, you know, we we think we're a 30% grower, and so uh, even if Q3 and Q4 aren't at that level, uh, that doesn't mean in our minds that we're slowing down the growth because we're still, you know, uh, um, believing ourselves to be a 30% grower for 2022 and, and into the future. And, and, and yeah, I understand. Appreciate you taking my question. Uh, uh, well, I'll just make a, uh, make a quick point here. Uh, I may be a, a single voice here uh, on the table, but I'm actually not very happy with 30% growth. So I continue to think about all the innovative ways we could uh, get to that uh, what can we do to accelerate the growth even further. But the 30% number actually is important from a different perspective also that we want to remain a rule of 40 company. You know, we want to be a responsible grower of the business. We want to be a profitable company. Uh, uh, we, we, we feel like that uh, you, you and, uh, and, and the rest of the investment community has trusted us with your capital, and it's not lost on us that uh, 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 families uh, through mutual funds are investing uh, in the public, uh, public funds, and they're investing in our business, and 
So we want to make sure that we are a responsible uh, uh, custodian of the capital, and as a result, uh, we feel like that uh, at 30% with, uh, with the EBITDA margins we have, we, we have uh, uh, a rule of 40 companies. So that's, that's, a, uh, that's a key, the key reason why 30% uh, uh, is the number. Got it. Understood. Appreciate the color. Thank you, Will. The next question comes from Dave Cloning with Baird. Please proceed. Yeah. Hey, guys. Uh, nice revenue momentum. And maybe, maybe my first question, just transaction growth was so strong sequentially. Can you kind of review just, you know, how much of that maybe was from acquisitions, how much is kind of just normal existing client growth, and how much was kind of newer clients? Like, just so we can kind of see why it was, it just seemed to diverge quite a bit from normal. Yeah, um, I would say, and again, we haven't uh, broken it out specifically, but I would say it's safe to say that even without the acquisitions, transaction growth was still, um, you know, uh, well north of 40% and, and approaching the 50% level. Um, and it, as we said before, uh, our growing share is our number one priority in, in trying to get more and more transactions on our platform. Um, we, uh, as we think about um, the mix is changing through, as we talked about B2B and, and some of the IPN stuff with financial institutions, et cetera, um, the pricing uh, then becomes really on a contribution profit basis or the revenue on a contribution profit basis because there's no interchange associated with it. Um, uh, and so it changes the dynamic a little bit on, on revenue versus contribution profit versus uh, the transactions. But it was still very strong, and, and we think, um, you know, as we go down the road, that will uh, continue to pay dividends as we think about, I think, we shot reference ways uh, to minimize the gap between contribution profit and revenue and, and drive even more contribution profit out of those clients. Great, great. And, and maybe just in a quick follow-up, gross profit per transaction was a little bit down to, is it, is it all the same factors that, that, that with uh, contribution profit? Per transaction, and maybe is that even a worthwhile metric to kind of uh, track? For sure, I, I would look at uh, you know personally. I, I don't know if you're talking about gap gross profit or adjusted gross profit per transaction. I, I would use adjusted gross profit just because now with the acquisitions, we've got the amortization and tangibles uh, that are flowing into cost of revenue that um, kind of just start to distort uh, gap gross profit a little bit. Um, um, when you think about just the normal business, but I, I do think it's a good metric, and um, you know the the only the main difference between just or uh, between contribution profit and adjusted gross profit is processing costs and other hosting and data center costs that we use to deliver our platform, um, which are you know I think it's uh, it's an important uh, way to look at the business as well, um, but the same drivers at play. Yeah, great. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Dave. There are no additional questions registered at this time, so I'll pass the conference back to the management team for closing remarks. Well, thank you so much for joining the call. Really appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. That concludes the payments this fourth quarter and full year 2021 earnings call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect your lines.